Our gospel reading today comes from Mark 16, to 7 Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and, and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us to the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Happy Easter. It's so good to be with you today. He is risen. Um, welcome to the vineyard. We are glad that you're with us. If you're with us and we are your place and your people, then welcome. Um, also, if you're with us because you're with someone that you love and you're kind of brand new to us, we just wanted to say welcome uh, to you too. I'm Lindsay. I'm the pastor here, and we're glad you're joining us this Easter. Um, today is the celebration of something special. I love Easter. Uh, today is our day. As followers of Jesus, it's a day for singing and for dancing and for feasting and for connecting however we can in a really crazy time uh, with people that we love. Um, and I just feel like we've earned that on a whole new level this year, like earned a celebration on a whole new level because it has been an insane year. Um, but today is the reminder that no matter how, the, how wild the world might be, uh, we are Easter people. It's our season. Um, this is our great festival. Easter as Christians, this is our great festival. And, and celebrating that, it, it doesn't belittle what's happening in the world or belittle the hurt and trauma and loss of the last year. Um, instead, it's a reminder to our souls uh, that uh, what we believe is that lost things will be found and dead things will uh, be alive and that the very worst thing is not the final thing. Um, Last year, I was looking through my sermon um, from last year when we had uh, just um, closed in-person church and we were doing Easter online and I was mourning uh, not being able to be all together on Easter Sunday. And, and I wrote this line and I said it last year and I had no idea how much more true it would become in the next year. But uh, celebrating the hope of Jesus, it is not disrespectful. Celebrating the hope of Jesus is the antidote to fear. And so that's what we're going to do today. We've got to find a way to party and a way to celebrate uh, this Easter Sunday. Um, and here's even better news. Uh, Easter is not just today. Easter uh, for the whole church, like Big C Church, is uh, actually 50 days. 50 days of celebrating, 50 days of learning how to in intentionally celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus as the antidote uh, to our fear. So I want to read you my very favorite Easter quote. I think I read it every year. I hope I read it every year. Um, but this is what the brilliant N.T. Wright has to say about Easter. He says, but my friends, we are Easter people. We stand on resurrection ground. Easter is not only our greatest party. Easter is the only reason we are here at all. Uh, so when we get to Easter Day, why do we not celebrate wildly and lavishly and gloriously at great length with studied disregard for normal propriety? 
We should meet regularly for Easter parties. We should drink champagne for breakfast. We should renew our baptismal vows with splashing water all over the place. We should sing and dance and blow trumpets and put out banners in the streets. Uh, we should invite the homeless to parties and we should go around town doing random acts of generosity and celebration. We should be doing these things which would make our sober and serious neighbors say, what is the meaning of this outrageous party? We're Easter people. Uh, and I just feel like we might as well act like it. We might as well do something about it uh, this year. Act like we believe it's true. So um, let's jump into our story uh, for today. The resurrection story of Jesus. It's in all four Gospels. Um, we kind of loosely follow the lectionary here at Springbrook. Um, the lectionary is a calendar that the Big C Church, like the church all over the world, um, lots of churches follow and all kind of end up in the same um, place in the scriptures on the same weeks, which is super cool. It makes us feel connected to people all over the world. Um, but uh, one of the things that I love is it means on big holidays, we get to kind of rotate through um, which version of the story, Matthew's version or Luke's version or Mark's version. And um, and so all four writers in the Gospels, uh, with, as they tell their story of Easter, they all tell us that um, the first people on the, uh, to the tomb on an early Easter morning, early morning, uh, were th these women. Um, but Mark, whose version we read today, Today, Mark, he uh, starts his version of Easter a little bit earlier than that. Um, he starts his version in the dark, just as the sun has gone down. Uh, in the story of the resurrection and, and all that is about to happen, uh, this little nuance of the darkness of the story beginning in the dark, I think is so interesting. And I think it's so important uh, for Mark, the story of the resurrection. It begins in the dark the night before, uh, not just early that morning. Uh, Mark's story it features three uh, main characters, so to speak, three women. And um, I'll spare you my yearly uh, little mini sermon on uh, women in ministry and what it means for women to be the first to um, both witness and declare the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but this is a big one for girls. So uh, there's a little tiny mini sermon there. But um, but here's kind of a flyover of what we know about these three women. Uh, we have uh, Mary, the mother of Joseph and James. Uh, we also have another Mary, Mary Magdalene, who uh, some scholars believe may have anointed Jesus just days before uh, his crucifixion. Uh, there are a lot of Marys in the Bible. So if you find yourself confused as to which Mary being talked about, uh, you're in, you're, it's a safe place. We, we all do that a little bit. Um, it's sort of like how my mom thought Lindsay was a really cool and unique name she had never heard of. And then there were like three Lindsays or five Lindsays or something in my first grade. Um, so the two Marys, and then we have Salome, who uh, there aren't a ton of in the scriptures. Uh, Salome is the mother of James and John, uh, the wife of Zebedee. She, um, uh, a few stories earlier, she comes to Jesus on James and John's behalf, asking for places of honor for her boys in the kingdom. Um, and so uh, we have these three women that that are, are in Mark's version of the story, but Mark is also really, um, care he really carefully includes them in the story of the crucifixion in the chapter before. He tells us that that these three women were present as Jesus died, that that they uh, were present as his body uh, was put into the tomb. He tells us that they are followers of Jesus, that they had cared for him during his ministry. These women, they see him die on a cross. They are part of the crowd that sees his body placed in the tomb. And then we find them um, on this dark night. Mark, uh, he starts his story on Saturday um, with these three women. So here's what this means. Uh, in Jewish tradition, 
Saturday was the Sabbath day, uh, a day of rest where nothing would have been done. Uh, for Friends of Jesus, it would have been a day, um, not a day to do like the active work and logistical work of grief, uh, but a day to sit in the quiet bewilderment of grief. Um, and, and all day long, I imagine these women were waiting for the darkness to come. I know that's what I would have been doing. Uh, there's something really hard about sitting still when you are so deeply sad and you feel like there are things to be done. It's like you can, when people want you to do things, you can sit still, but when you have to sit still, all you want to do is be doing something. Um, and so I, that's what I would have been doing. I would have been sitting on the edge of my seat wanting to get my hands moving in some way to work out my grief, just waiting for the sun to go down so that I could uh, do something because when the sun went down, it meant that the Sabbath was over. Uh, it meant that they could get to work, that they could do the things that needed to be done. And so the sun goes down, and then Mark tells us that the women, they head to, to town to buy spices in the dark, uh, the dark that I feel like they had most likely been waiting on. And then uh, the waiting begins again, and they wait for the sun to come up. Uh, early that morning, they make their way uh, back uh, to their moment of great sadness, the moment where they saw Jesus put into the tomb. They, they make their way to the tomb to do what Mark told us that they were in the business of doing all during Jesus's ministry to care for Jesus. Uh, today, care would look a little bit different. Worship for them um, would come in the form of spices and kindness and respect to a body that would have already started to deteriorate. Uh, I love this little detail in Mark's telling of the story. It's so human and so relatable. They're walking um, with their spices in hand, and Mark tells us their conversation is about uh, trying to problem solve. They're trying to problem solve the issue of moving this immovable rock. And when they happen upon something very wild and something very unexpected, instead of a tomb dark and sealed, these women, they find a bright open door and a man sitting on the side of it. Uh, I love, love, love the contrast that Mark weaves into this story. Uh, I have been thinking about it and talking about it for years because I, I think it's so interesting. We have the darkness of the night and then the sun coming up early in the morning. Uh, we have the conversation about the logistics of the stone and the stone inexplicably being rolled away. Uh, we have the job that these women were about to do, prettying up the death and decay of a body. And then we have a man alive sitting on the side. Uh, we have the Marys and Salome who went to anoint a corpse, but instead were greeted by a savior. What makes the story of the resurrection so fascinating and so confusing at times are these contrasts. The contrast, it's, it's, a, it's a story of seemingly opposite things in all in the same moment. Death and light, death and life. Sorry, dark and light, death and life, grief and hope. The, resurrection, or the story of the resurrection is a story of things uh, not being like anyone expected them to be. It's a story of contrast that works entirely in our favor. I think that's what makes it so different and sometimes hard to believe because we've been taught to not trust a lot of things that seem so opposite. But here, this story of contrast works entirely in our favor. Uh, Frederick Buechner, he says, in the language of resurrection, the worst thing is not the final thing. Mary and Mary and Salome in the middle of their mourning with the supplies of death in their hands learn uh, from this man sitting next to the tomb that the death of Jesus is not the final word of Jesus. They thought they'd heard the final word of Jesus as they saw his body uh, being laid in a tomb, 
but death was not the final word of Jesus. For me, this realization um, is what took the resurrection of Jesus from a thing of amazement for me to a thing that like mattered, that changed my entire life. Uh, I hope this makes sense. Uh, for so many years, uh, I heard the Easter story told like this. Maybe you can relate to this. Um, the story told that the resurrection is amazing because Jesus is alive and he's gone to heaven and one day we get to join him there too. And that's great news, uh, but it's not the whole news. Um, the surprise of the resurrection and the good news of the resurrection for me has been found in a little bit wider view. We talk a lot about taking a few steps back and looking at a wider view. Um, Easter is the story um, of the God who did not give death the final word. The God who did not give death the final word, that's, that's bigger than even conquering death in the name of heaven. It's a story about how life can uh, be on this side of heaven as well. Uh, Easter, it's very much a, a story of, of something that happened in the past, and it's very much a story of what's happening in the future, but it is also a story that's living and active for today. Uh, it's a story of people taken by surprise and delight and hope smack dab right in the middle of their grief, right in the middle of their sorrow and their mourning and their fear. In the middle of their darkest moment, people who like Jesus, they, uh, the Jesus that they cared for and the God that they hoped in are given new life and new breath into their lungs. That is a stark contrast. Mourning to joy. Morning to joy, sorrow, uh, to the bewilderment and wild excitement of hope, the slow walk of sadness and the running speed of hope. The story of an empty tomb is the story of the God who comes into the middle of the stories of death and hopelessness and grief and sorrow and does transforming work there right there. Easter is not just the story of good news uh, that happened a long time ago or what could be possible in the future, though it is both of those things, uh, but it's also the story of good news that can happen right now. It's the story uh, that tells of the God whose plan was never to just like scrap everything and start over, but um, to take what was misunderstood and abused and dead and bring it back to life in the moment. Jesus, misunderstood, abused, and dead, and now alive. It's an invitation uh, to our souls into the very same thing, an invitation into a life where uh, what is most dark or dead can be true, uh, but does not have the power to be the most true thing. It's the story, or the story of Easter. It's an invitation to new life, to wild hope, to fresh starts, to the things that God is up to now. Not just one day in the future, but now. Uh, I'm convinced that Easter isn't uh, just a story that's meant to soothe us as we wait for the coming of a new world. It's a story about what's possible here and now in our current lives, in our current world, in our neighborhoods, our streets, our cities, our schools, our places where we work now, the places we are now. Uh, here's why. If this isn't true, if this isn't what God's up to, if there isn't a now piece of the Easter story, then the truth is I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here now. If God, isn't, if God is in the business of giving the final word to things like darkness and death and fear and despair, then I, I'm toast. 
I'm absolutely toast. If he's into scrapping things that are used and broken and busted and confused and useless in order to start over with something new and better, then there's no chance that I'm standing in front of this camera ever or Chad or Aaron or Johnny or Jordan or any of us. Uh, I've said this a lot and people smile like um, they're, they think maybe, I don't know, that I'm overstating something, but I'm really not. Uh, you, you would not believe what has been dead inside me. And you would not believe how lonely and confused and useless and insecure I feel a lot of times. And you would not believe the things that have happened in my life that uh, have threatened to take me out. Uh, a wild theologian that is a favorite of mine named Robert Capon. Uh, he says this, he says, the worst thing we can be uh, in our darkness, our sin, our struggle, our destruction, uh, the worst thing we can be in our darkness is dead. And being dead before Jesus doesn't disqualify us. It makes us his cup of tea. Instead of scrapping me for something better, something less damaged, something um, less busted, I'm standing here with you on an Easter morning. And, and you're sitting there or standing. I don't know how you are. Um, because he didn't scrap you. He didn't take you out because the dark might be part of your story, but it didn't get the final word over it. It, it doesn't get the final word over it. Easter is the antidote to uh, the defeatist conviction that nothing in our life could ever change. Easter's proof that it can. It's not just our greatest party. It's literally the reason we're here. Uh, here at the Vineyard, we believe in the God of new mornings, the God who meets us in the dark uh, with the tools of death in our hands and says, Have I got some news for you. Uh, the God who says, I don't want to get rid of you. I don't want to throw you out or let you stay in the tomb. I have far more plans for you. The things that you think define you, they do not get the final word over your life. Uh, he does. God does. That's what Easter means. Um, I read an article years ago. I think we've talked about it a few times at our church. Uh, that said, it was Eugene Peterson who um, passed away a couple of years ago, and he was a pastor for years and a writer. And he actually did the message version of the Bible, if you've read that. And um, and uh, at his funeral, his son said that uh, his father used to sneak into his room at night and that he would whisper these things over him. He said his dad would whisper these words, God loves you. He's on your side. He's chasing after you, and he's relentless. Uh, the message of Easter is, is uh, pretty simple, confusing, and hard to believe at times, but pretty simple. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming for you, and he's relentless. He won't give up. Nothing, not even death, could keep him away. Um, we're going to take a few minutes and be quiet. We do this every week here at the Vineyard and just take a breath, like a quiet moment um, to not move on too quickly from here. And and I, I want to tell you a story. Um, I told you I, I looked at my sermon from last year and uh, I actually told this story last year and I didn't even remember it. Like, like I wrote it out in my notes and then I said it to you and I forgot it completely. And so uh, it just hit me in this whole new way. And so I, I want to share it with you again. Um, traditionally in Episcopalian uh, funeral or burial services, they do this really wild thing. They end in, I think, uh, 
really cool way. Uh, the liturgy says that at the end of the service, uh, at the end of the burial service, that the priest walks to the edge of the grave, like toes at the edge of the grave, and says these words, looking down at the grave. Uh, uh, the priest would say, yet even at the grave, we make our song, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The story of Easter tells us that because of the resurrection, death doesn't get the final word in our life. Love does. Hallelujah does. So I want to take a minute and I want you to use your imagination uh, for just a moment. So uh, if you will, uh, close your eyes and um, imagine yourself uh, standing at the edge of whatever feels darkest and most overwhelming to you. At the edge of whatever feels like it is dying, in whatever feels like it's dying in your soul. Are you there? Can you picture it? Okay. With your eyes on whatever feels most dark, overwhelming, scary, confusing, uh, the hope of Easter says that this thing is not the final thing. That the final word on this world, the final word on you isn't death, it's love. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming for you, and he will not give up. He's relentless. So uh, with all the courage you can muster, uh, hear these words of your darkness, or maybe say it with me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that our darkness was not too dark for you, that our despair was not too great for you, that our sin was not too horrible for you, that you came after us anyway. And so I pray uh, for uh, the courage to, as we look at the difficult places in our life, I pray for the courage to hope, the courage to have faith, and the courage to believe that you might have uh, something greater and wider and wilder plan for us. We thank you uh, for Jesus and for the cross and for the resurrection and that it means that you love us, that you have not given up on us, that you are chasing us and that you won't give up. In your name we pray.